0: Good morning. morning. You know, I couldn't, I really couldn't think of a better way uh, to start a new year than to gather with God's people in God's house to praise his holy name. And to do that with communion, what a wonderful way uh, to just demonstrate the love that we have for Christ, uh, to give him uh, honor for what he has done for us. Uh, But to also think about what he is doing through his people as we are his ambassadors to a world that desperately needs the light of the love of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful way to start our year. And uh, Pastor Sam, thank you so much for Hosea. Uh, By his help, let us return. What a great way uh, to introduce this mini-series that we're going to talk about formation to become more and more each and every day like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That, that's our goal, uh, to live lives that are pleasing to him in everything that we think, everything that we do, the motivation for why we do what we do. It's all because we love him. And by his help, we're able to accomplish that. So turn with me back to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. I, I pray that each of you would have your copy of the Word of God. Um, uh, as Elder Wehmeyer said and, and just read through this, uh, this passage for us, uh, the Word of God anchors all that we do. It's, it's a light unto our path, a lamp unto my, our feet, so that as we, we try to figure out what, what to do, how to do it, uh, God, God says that He walks with us and He talks with us. And, and the way He does that so often is, is through the majesty and the wonder of His holy word, that precious gift uh, that He's given to us. But, but as we go through this message this morning, we're, we're going to see that the archangel, the arch enemy, <laughs> who once was an angel, <laughs> has has rallied his forces against our God. And one of the chief ways that he attacks our God is through, through destroying or t- attempting to destroy the power and the majesty of his holy word. It's a precious gift, y'all. We'll talk like a Southerner this morning. <laughs> it's a precious gift. It's one that's been entrusted to us. And we have to fight and hold on so this is a wonderful passage to consider for us second timothy chapter 3 verses 12 through 17 my primary emphasis this morning is going to be on verses 16 and 17 but paul does a wonderful job of setting up those two verses uh, with the verses that begin at, at verse number 12. Let me, let me just highlight uh, some of that for us this morning. And, and I trust as you look at your bulletins that you, you pay attention to the Reap Guide that's been prepared by Matthew Goldstein. He's done a wonderful job with that. I hope you take that and, and look at it through the course of the week. But, but let's see how Paul sets up verses 16 and 17. Verse number 12, here's a challenge to us today. That as we attempt to live godly lives, we're going to be persecuted. Uh, Paul opens up 2 Corinthians uh, by talking about a wonderful attribute of God. He says that God is the father of all comfort. I'm afraid that uh, in our world today, we've kind of twisted that. Satan has led us into a path where instead of being the God of all comfort, we've come to want to have a God of comfort, a God that is comfort, that is our God, comfort. But Paul tells us here that if we're going to live godly lives, we're going to be persecuted. So don't be surprised. When we live in a culture that comes against us, that's what the Holy Scripture says will happen. In verse t- 13, uh, evil people will have nothing but deception. Because guess what? Satan is the father of lies. And here to continue to deceive the people of God. Uh, look at verse 15. And this is a, a really strong verse Uh, to say to parents, as parents look to raise up their children. Paul says, uh, and from childhood, you ought to underscore that in your your Bible. From childhood, we we ought to be in the business, parents, of having our children from childhood raised up to understand God's Word. We have a wonderful ministry here at West Park. It's called Awana. Awana. Many of you are already participating in it. But as you think about 2023 and, and some of those New Year's resolutions, if your child, ages 12 through, I mean, 2 through about 12, I think, if your child is not participating in our ministry of AWANA on Wednesday nights, Sister Lisa would love to have you guys bring that, bring the children here. Because from childhood, you need to raise up your children in understanding the Word of God, and to have that buried deep in their hearts so that they may not sin against Him. Enroll your children in in Awana. Uh, The Apostle John said in 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We we need to be about the business of having our children walk in the truth. We need to make a daily habit, parents, of quoting scripture in the lives of our families, with our children. I remember when I, I first started uh, dating my wife, Terry, and I had the privilege of joining her family at the dinner table at their home. They would, they would gather around and, and take their seat at the table, and, and they would have their prayer of blessing over the meal. And what they would do is each one would have to quote a passage of scripture. I used to quote, God is love. <laughs> okay? But they'd go around that table and, and each one would, would just quote from memory uh, a precious verse of Scripture as they blessed the food. Trade up these children by burying the Word of God deep in their hearts. Uh, find opportunities throughout your day to reinforce Scripture as we talk about forming uh, believers into the image of Christ. So, so here's the outline for our message uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about who's the provider of Scripture. We're going to talk about the profitability of Scripture. Then I want to close out with the priority of motivation. Why do we do what we do? So let's, let's go over the, the provider of Scripture Now, the Apostle Paul is very clear. He says in verse 16, all... Now, do we have a problem understanding what all means? (laughs) Maybe we ought to do a little test this morning. Could you guys tell me what's left out of all? Okay, I've been asking that question for a long time, and I haven't gotten a rational answer yet. But the Scripture's clear. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's the recipe of how scripture forms our life, through teaching, through reproof, through correction, through training. We're gonna cover each one of those points here in just a minute. But let me start off with some sad news. We live in a world today that is becoming more and more secular. It's a world that denies the very existence of a supernatural being who created the universe to serve his purposes. In today's world, to retain a commitment to a supreme being is to remain stuck in the dark ages of ignorance and simplicity. It means that if you are committed to the God of the Bible, then your basic intelligence is being called into question. Humanity has evolved to the point where God is no longer needed. And if the God of the Bible does not exist, and if he is not the source of divine revelation, that we can just cast that Bible aside. No need to pay any more attention to what the Lord has to say. And so the very nature and character of Scripture is under attack. And that's a clear attack on the character of God himself. Here's the deal. You destroy the nature of God by destroying the nature of Scripture, and you will destroy Christianity. That's the strategy. But you know, it's not a new strategy. From the very beginning of time, Satan has understood if he could destroy what thus said the Lord, he's well on his way to accomplishing his devilish means. Uh, Look at Genesis 3, 1. Uh, From the very beginning, the father of lies was at his business. He says the the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and underlying this, Did God actually say? Did God actually say? And what did he say? Everything that is contained in the words of Scripture. And so the point to be made is this, that when we hold that precious gift in our hands, I'm still an advocate of of having a book that you can hold in your hands. Nothing wrong with reading it on your tablets and on your phones until the batteries go out, but get a book that you can hold in your hands. (laughs) And you can see that all Scripture has been provided to us by God. Now, let me just talk about the character of what God has provided. I'm just going to rattle through these passages. You don't have to turn to those, but just listen clearly, closely. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And so, we also thank constantly, God, for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not... As the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's 2 Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21. Uh, not to, to leave the, uh, the Old Testament out of this battle. Look at what Brother Isaiah said. Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. And I love that in his prayer, Pastor Sam included uh, this in his, his prayer for us this morning. Here, here's what Isaiah says. For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and did not return there, but watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will, it will accomplish that which I propose. I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? Let me me talk about why it's so strong, because John the Revelator in the book of Revelations gives a a clear warning to us in the 22nd chapter, uh, verses 18 and 19. Here's what John says. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. God's serious about his word. Beloved, we need to be serious as well. I wish that was true, but sadly, I'm starting to believe that maybe it isn't. You ask why? Uh, Because the deceiver is actively talking, and believers are actively listening. Let me say that again. The deceiver is talking, he's spewing out lies, and sadly, far too many believers. Are starting to listen. Now, how do I know that? Well, I'll share some facts with you. Didn't get my doctorate for nothing. (laughs) I need to share some facts. (laughs) Every year for the last several years, uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research have partnered together to conduct a comprehensive survey concerning the prevailing views on how people view scripture. Now, here's what that survey says. First of all, it states what its purpose is. Let me read that for you. The 2022, this is just last year, State of Theology Survey reveals that Americans increasingly reject the divine origin and complete accuracy of the Bible. With no enduring plumb line of absolute truth to conform to, us adults, us adults, are also increasingly holding to unbiblical worldviews related to many different to- topics. In the evangelical sphere, doctrines including the deity and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, as well as the inspiration and authority of the Bible are increasingly being rejected. There are some positive trends that are present, but the overall inconsistent biblical ethic ethic is also evident. So, So what is meant by this inconsistent biblical ethic? Well, just briefly, here are some of the questions And responses uh, that are reported in that survey. First one concerning if the Bible is viewed as the highest authority for what to believe. Here's the report 99% of evangelicals strongly agree that it's a good thing. Well, we need to pause on that. 99%, that's pretty strong of you people out there, agree. That the Bible is to be reviewed is to be viewed as the highest authority for what we are to believe. But let's ask another question. Forty-three percent of evangelicals believe that God still learns and adapts to certain to different circumstances. let think about that. What that really is saying is God didn't know it all, all right? What God's got to do is he's got to watch people do foolishness and then figure out what he's going to do about the foolishness they've just done. 43% of evangelicals believe that. Now, that doesn't align with 99% that say it's the authority. Well, what's going on here? Where is this disconnect? Well, let's get down to that. All right, here's where I think it's headed to. <laughs> and I think it has to do with how we handle and treat God's word. When evangelicals are asked if they think that Jesus was a great teacher, but that he was not God, only 50% of evangelicals reject that statement. A 50% might seem like a strong number. But what does that imply? If only 50% strongly reject that premise, that means that another 50% of us, to some varying degree, don't. That is disturbing. It's disturbing to me. And I hope that you would agree that for 50% to only stand firm that Jesus is God, Is a troubling statistic. But here's what's even more troubling to me about that statistic. As I look at the trend of the survey over the last several years, that it started off at 10%, then it went to 20%. A couple years ago, it was at 35%. But now it's up to 50%. You see where that trend's going? That's a huge concern. It's a huge concern because the gospel is wrapped in the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Anything less than that destroys the veracity of the gospel. We need to be concerned about that. Now, here's the deal. Why why is there this drift away from the, the, the truth that is in the scripture? Why is that happening? Well, here's where I think it is. It's because people aren't reading their Bibles. The latest data shows that only 32% of evangelicals read their Bibles every day. Folks, this is our playbook. If Nick Saban took the Alabama football team to the game and they hadn't read the playbook, you know what he'll be? Upset. <laughs> Upset. Upset. But only 32% of us are reading our Bibles every day. But here's something that's even more unsettling to me. 12% to 15% of evangelicals reveal they never read their Bibles at all. Now look, lying is a sin. But if somebody asked me that question, and I didn't read my Bible every day, I think I'd just lie. Okay? They don't read their Bible at all. That's a troubling, troubling, uh, troubling, troubling truth. But it's not new. It's a battle. The deity of Christ has been a battle that has been fought throughout the age of the church. Over 1,800 years ago, after hundreds of years of debating the deity of Christ, God providentially brought the key leaders of the church together at the Nicene Creed Council to settle the question once and for all about who Christ is. And here's what they wrote. Many of you may not have seen the Nicene Creed. It was first written in 325 AD and then updated in 381. But I'm going to put it on the board here, and I'm going to read it because I think it's important for us to hear it. Here is the battle that was fought over the deity and the character of Christ and how the early church fathers came together and said, we're going to put this issue to bed. So they thought. Here's what it says. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And and in one Lord, Jesus the anointed, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Who for us humans and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnated by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, And was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. The creed has been kind of updated but it's pretty much fundamentally the same. And it was held in high esteem by all believers until this generation. Now, the deity of Jesus Christ is slipping through our fingers. Now, how are we going to respond to this attack? We need to look at what the Bible says. Uh, The challenge was presented in the letter of Jude, uh, verse 3. And what did Jude say? Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, my brothers and my sisters this morning, for this generation to not let the basic truths of the Bible slip through our hands, the call is, the clarion call is that we must contend for the faith. It's a faith for us that has been captured in the word of God. Every single word, all scripture, has been breathed out by God. I think we need to have some modern day, 21st century, Martin Luther's, the great reformer. When the word of God was under attack, he stood firm. And you guys are familiar with this quote, but I'm going to read it anyway. He says, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes, uh, councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right or safe. Here I stand I cannot do otherwise. God, help me. Amen. Amen. We need some modern day Martin Luthers. If we don't, God help us all. So that brings me point two, the profitability of Scripture. Okay, we talked about why. We talked about the issue that it's, there's a contradiction going on in our, in our evangelical culture today. We say that we esteem and value the Word of God, but we don't read it. We're letting the truth that it's presented slip through our fingers. Maybe it's because we just don't think it's going to benefit us. Maybe we think we need to go to the human solutions to get those issues that ail us addressed because our God is comfort, okay? So how is Scripture profitable? Well, again, Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Profit has to do with the proper application of God's Word, Uh, This past Advent season, we took the time to to walk through uh, many biblical passages about the character and nature of Christ, and Isaiah 9 is one of my favorites because it talks about Jesus Christ as the wonderful counselor. Now, how does the Word of God counsel us? I want to, want to give to you a little process that I think is very important for us to have in our mind when we think about how does the Word counsel us to deal with the issues of life. Here's how the Word counsels us. Three things. It counsels us on what to think, what to do based on what we think, and how to have a proper motivation for doing what we do based on what we think. What we think, what we do, what's the motivation? That's that's the rubric. That's the basic principle when we look at God's Word and the truth that is contained in it, how it should play itself out in how we live our lives. What we think, what we do, and why we do it. So what to think? Paul specifically uh, talks about teaching, reproof, and correction. Now, look, I was born at night, but not last night. I know that most of you out there don't want nobody telling you what to think. Right? Amen? Who are you to tell me what to think? Well, the problem with that is we want to talk to God. And tell him, who are you to tell me what to think? But that's exactly what the Word of God does. And as we talk about being conformed and transformed into the likeness of Christ, God's given us a roadmap. It's called the Holy Scripture. It lays out for us what we ought to think. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Uh, Many of you could quote that from memory. But I'm going to read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all, there's that bad word again, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Folks, verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. And it will be healing. It will be healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 13, 15. You don't want to go that route. You don't want to lean to your own understanding. You don't want God to tell you how to think. Where well, Proverbs 13:15 says, here's what's gonna happen. Good understanding gives favor. But the way of the transgressor is hard. If we keep going our own way and refusing to let God tell us how to think, your way is going to be hard. We use teaching, reproof, and correction to transform our thinking so we know how to think. And that brings up the fourth element of what Paul says in this little process. It's called the discipline of training. Uh, here's the essence of what training means. Training means to correct mistakes and curb the passions by cultivating the soul through the practice of godly disciplines. And that training discipline includes the regiment of Bible study. Scripture meditation and memorization and prayer. You want to walk a disciplined life? Here's what God's told you to do. Study your Bible. Meditate on the Scripture. Sink it deep in your heart through memorization. And please don't forget prayer. Next week, uh, there will be a message presented on the discipline of prayer. I pray that you get prayed up for that one. Get prayed up for that one. And let me, let me just, so I know in our modern day culture, we've got, we're getting ready to send people back to the moon and then on to Mars. And we're just doing so many wonderful things. And, and, and to sit back and go, oh, this Bible thing, man, Al, that's just, that's just simplistic thinking. You know, wake up. And look, I agree. Uh, the, the, the Bible is not a textbook about everything that we see going on in life. However, believers must remain committed, must remain loyal in their commitment to please God in everything they do, including our thinking. It, it, need to be, it needs to be the leading objective in everything we do. So, for instance, for a Christian Christian, who studied to become a well-equipped medical doctor. Uh, certainly, the Bible is not his textbook. But look, let me, let me give you a piece of advice. Uh, be careful about going to a doctor that denies the existence of God. Uh, before the doctor cuts on me, I hope he's prayed up about it. Okay? Uh, he needs to practice in a manner that pleases God. Any academic teacher that declares that they are a Christ follower must teach in a manner that pleases God. Any politician, thank you, Paul, any law enforcement official, any craftsperson or supervisor or employee must always seek to think in a manner that first pleases God. That's a good thing, because we recognize that God is in control of everything. Amen. And through God's common grace, he's even allowed unbelievers to be a blessing to his creation. I know many of you have often heard me say, I, I just thank God for the microwave oven. I, I, don't, I don't think a, a believer necessarily invented that microwave oven, but I'm sure glad and happy that God gave somebody the ability to come up with that machine because I use it all the time. So through God's common grace, he allows humanity to come up with all of these marvelous inventions that we so much enjoy. So I'm not trying to press the Bible into areas that God didn't intend for it to speak to. I think that's missing the point But I would contend this. I would say that whenever the Bible speaks to non-theological subjects, it speaks truthfully and authoritatively. And believers must align their thoughts accordingly. Again, Martin Luther stands loud and clear. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to do so is neither right nor safe. You know, that was, Martin said those, those words in, in 1517. That, that was about 1,200 years after the Nicene Creed was written. 1,200 years. Here we stand in the 21st century, about 800 years later, and the attack on the veracity of Scripture is as strong as ever. Let me let you in on a secret Satan doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. But we have to understand that we, the people of God, have been challenged by Scripture to do everything that we do in a manner that pleases God. Now, that brings me to the last point that I want to talk with you about, and that's about our motivation. So, the Bible tells us what to think. The Bible tells us what to do based on what we think. But the Bible also tells us about why, what kind of motivation we ought to have in doing the things that we know we need to do based on the way we know we need to think, okay? The Bible's clear about that. Wrong motivation, there's gonna be a problem with those works that we've done. Because there's gonna be a day, y'all, there's gonna be a day when we're all gonna to have to stand before the Lord God Almighty, and we're going to have to give an account for what we've done here on earth. Paul says in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, here's what Paul's getting at. He's stressing the end impact. What's going to happen at the end when we stand in full communion before God? When Paul talks about complete, he's using a passive voice in the original language uh, that relates back to something that is accomplished in the believer, prompted by the working of the Holy Spirit. You know, this morning we joined together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Wasn't that a blessing again? We celebrated the fact that we are right with God, not based on what we've done, but rather what was done on our behalf. It's the work of Christ that we celebrate. Uh, we're not saved our, our, by our works, by the works we perform. We're saved by the work that Christ performed. So when Paul starts talking about the man of God may be complete, he's, he's really letting us in on, on, on how this process actually happens. It, it, our thinking Is transformed into alignment with God's thinking when we begin to do things in compliance with not what we believe, not what we want, and not what we desire in our fallen nature, but we're starting to do things out of motivation for what God has done for us. Look, I am motivated to talk about the truth of God, to talk about the love of God for his creation, not because I get huge benefits out of it, but because I love him. That is the motivation that we all should strive for. Paul goes into a lot of depth around why that motivation is important in 2 Corinthians. He he talks about the fact that one day we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of God as believers as believers and our works the things that we've done for Christ what we thought about what we think all of that will be judged and if it's not performed or completed out of the proper motivation it's going to all be for naught here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become evident. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will not be saved, will be saved. But only as through fire. So every believer will give an account of himself, and the Lord will judge the quality of the work based on including what we think. Again, the believer's position is in Christ. So it's through Christ that we do everything that we do, that we have accomplished. But our motivation is so important. Works produced out of any other motivation than a love for Jesus Christ will resemble wood, hay, and stubble. Worthless. Shallow that have no spiritual value. But doing things based on what you think instead of what God thinks will result in those kinds of works. Let me say that again. Doing things based on what you think instead of what God thinks results in those kinds of works that will be burned up during that day of judgment. And the difference is this. It all boils down to motivation. So that's it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Let me just read those again. When it comes to spiritual formation and having a high view of Scripture, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be prosecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you received it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is the provider of all Scripture. Scripture is profitable for us in everything that we do, we must have the proper motivation. I'm going to close by giving you one more statistic. I just couldn't help it. Okay, we've been talking about them. Let me talk a little bit about us here at West Park. I had one of our uh, staff members to, to take a look at some of our numbers from last year. And so I want to offer a challenge uh, to each and every one of you. We're ready to talk to the parents and challenge you about having your kids in Awana? Now, I want to talk to you adults that don't want anybody telling you what to think. Okay? But here's what the deal is. Last year, about 43% of our, the people who consider West Park to be their church home, regular attenders, members, about 43% of you guys, we're enrolled in our Sunday morning equipping classes. I want that number to be 80%. So so if you're looking for a goal for 2023, get on board on Sunday morning and get involved with our equipping classes. If you want to know what the Word of God says, come join us there. We need to get that number up. Um, Community groups. We're going to have a a message on community. We have less than 20 community groups in our church meeting right now. For a church of our size, that number ought to be close to 50. We need you to get in community groups. We have a a prayer ministry leadership team here that throughout the year, We put on specific prayer-focused events. Guys, we need to increase the attendance at those events. Prayer is a core discipline of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We need to be known here at West Park as a church that gathers together for corporate prayer as well as individual prayer. Tuesday evenings, We have a training institute that has just been launched, and it's been hugely successful. But next year, we need to make Jake cry over the number of people that he's got bursting through the doors. On our Tuesday night training ministry here at West Park, Monday nights, we have a ministry that is dedicated towards dealing with people who are struggling with life-dominating sins. The doors ought to be blown off for the folk trying to get in for that. It's easy so many times to talk about the other. Let's look at ourselves. And so that's a challenge I, I want to leave with you because God wants you to know how he thinks. God wants you to do what you do based on what he thinks. God wants you to have the right motivation in everything that you do. Amen? Let's pray. The worship team's going to come back and lead us through our closing song. But we're just going to ask God's blessing as we close today. Father, we just ask that uh, you bless all that has been said. Uh, this, this poor, mumbling, stuttering servant has tried to stand for you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that as, as the words have come out of my mouth, that you, God the Holy Spirit, would take those and just penetrate those deep into the hearts of your people. Lord, so that we can think the way you think. Lord, that we can do things that please you based on the way you think. But Lord, most of all, that we would have the proper motivation in everything that we do, that our desire and our goal is to please you. Thank you, Lord, for the start of 2023. I'm just excited about what you're going to do in the life of these, your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.